Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Hello, welcome to the show today. We are living well here in Azel, Texas. I have Dr. Jim Slaughter here today, and we are going to talk about how to blend families successfully. A common experience for many people is something called the blended family. A blended family consists of two parents who were previously married, and one or both of these parents have children of their own from these marriages. So a lot of people call these blended families, and the term before was called step families, and it's really now politically correct to say blended. We're blending families, right, Jim? Yeah, and it's a better image to uh, to communicate what's happening as well. I yes. Think. Now, these tools that we're talking about are great for regular families too, any nuclear family, but they are um, wonderfully necessary for People coming together and they have children, either one of them or both of them have children coming into a new marriage or a new situation living together. There are an estimated 25 million blended families in America today with one in every three children, used to be four, now it's one in every three children belonging to a blended family at some time in their lives before the age of 18. So statistics that, you know, show that this is becoming more and more common and I think people just think of it as more normal now, I mean, it's just, there is, um, and some people get married, some people just live together. Uh, when I speak on blended families, because I'm a blended family specialist, when I speak in Europe, often uh, I have to change my handouts because they don't remarry. Um, so theirs is an epidemic over there of realizing now they need to learn more about how to do this. We've been working on this here. We have lots of books on blended families out there. If you can pick up one, if you're going to contemplate getting married and having children in that family, you definitely need to pick a book up. Um, There's different books called The Blended Family, How to Blend a Family, How to Live in a Step Family and Not Get Stepped On, anything (laughs) like that to give you (laughs) insight. We recommend premarital counseling for blended families. Just there are, what does uh, Gary Chapman say? He says, you don't have to run into every tree in the jungle. You can avoid them by knowing where they are ahead of time. And so that's what we're here to help you do to be successful in your blended family. Um, coming into this new year, we want to address possible danger zones of the blended family life. We know exactly where the pitfalls are, the main pitfalls that they run into. And... Um, We want to make the transition smoother. Even if you're in a blended family now, it can become so much smoother and the experience so much more fulfilling. And so uh, four principles of survival is what we're calling them uh, for you out there on blended families. So welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Ann. Good to be with you. It's always fun to to participate and be a part of things here. And um, I think this is a long overdue subject for your show, frankly. I know. Uh, Because, and... For a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is just because it's become so prolific today to uh, to run into people who are part of a blended family. And uh, it occurred to me as you were introducing the show that there are people out there listening to us today who already are part of a blended family and experiencing some of the chaos that some comes chaos. with that. There are other people who are probably thinking about it. They're planning a marriage. They're involved with this person that... Uh, you know they've uh, they've fallen in love with, and that person has children. They have children, perhaps, and uh, so this show is for everyone who is uh, 
either in or contemplating the context of a blended family. Well, and we go into it, you know, people go into it with their eyes blind. I mean, they just, yeah, eyes closed, eyes blind. <laughs> they just don't realize, you know, they do not realize that it's so different than a nuclear family. Um, it's just, it's just so complex. There's all these subsystems involved that they don't think about. You know, it's just not two people and their parents getting, the two people with each one having their parents getting married. Then they're having kids, Right. So it's, there's a lot more subsystems. Um, there's the two parents and their families. There's the ex-spouse and their family. So you've got the grandparents of these kids, which are involved. <laughs> the ex-spouse is involved because they're still trying to parent from afar. You've got um, your uh, kids going back and forth between the houses. You've got the child the parent and their child subsystem, and the other parent and their child subsystem. So if you look at it, there's like nine subsystems. So it's very, it can be, it's very complex. You've got the visiting parent, you know, and you've got the new couple, which is great. So if you draw it out on a map, you'll see there's so many more people involved. So when you add more people, you add more complexity, which can lead to more conflict. Yeah, I think understanding that complexity is a key to uh, success in a blended family. And I was thinking, too, that, uh, you know, how common it might be for two people who are thinking about they've fallen in love, they're getting married, perhaps they're talking about that, and they're thinking, you know, um, we can do this. This is not a problem. It'll come together. It'll, it'll kind of work on its own. Uh, not really thinking about the complexity of the issue. The dynamic of a blended family is so incredibly different from... Uh, the uh, traditional family, the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. Well, and with that, you also have a a lot of um, stress. Oh, good. (laughs) And so if you found yourself there and you're like, there's this stress that you had no idea. Um, And that's what happens. I mean, honestly, the couple comes together and usually the couple's chosen well as far as the person they're with. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, they get along great. Right and right. and by themselves they get along great, mm-hmm. and but they do not realize that they there's things they need to do before they move into the house together. And we've had clients come in; they brought their kids, okay, and and then somewhere along the line they mention, "Oh, I'm getting married," and they haven't come in, and the new new yeah. spouse that they're going to marry they haven't come in for any premarital counseling, and we're like, "Oh, you just don't understand." You know, and you cannot tell someone, you can't really explain how complicated it is, you know, if, if they don't come in and take the time. Um, and so we just encourage you to do that so that you can prepare and prepare well. We have seen families blend so well. Um, and let me, we want to tell you why. The number one thing. So the four survival skills. First, understand what makes the blended family so complex. It is more complex. So that's the first one. That's the first survival skill. And learning what those are and learning why they're there. Um, And then two, you need to clarify roles and relationships between the same households and members of the other household. So what is is that like? Um, If you think about it, you have visitation and scheduling from the kids coming in and out. Now, there are those fortunate people that the kids never go anywhere in that they don't visit the other parent. And I say fortunate only from the sense of you don't have that that, that dynamic of the temporary kids coming in and out, which change the family every time they leave and every time they come. It causes this uh, kind of um, structure, flexibility, but it makes it more vulnerable. 
when kids come for a visit, they're more like guests in a way. They don't necessarily, especially if they just come for the weekend. And if there's kids who live there and these other kids are just coming in on the weekend, that parent does want to have them have a good time because they want them to come back. Right. So what can happen is they'll just really try to give those kids a good time and not have them live by the same rules in the house as the other kids. Well, because they don't know how to do it. I mean, they don't, they're not, you know, the uh, parents aren't aware of uh, or have forgotten or, or not thinking about the fact that change disrupts. And any kind of change is going to be disruptive to the household. And they don't, they, they, they do not know how to do it very well yet. And so everybody's kind of feeling their way along trying to figure out how do we do this? This is new. And uh, the relationships are, are, are new ones. And it's, it's always hard to negotiate that at the beginning. Yeah. And so that change in household composition. And, and when you have the visitation, some couples we've seen have both sets of kids have visitation. Right. And so if you think about it, if they visit on two separate schedules, they're coming in at different times. Now, the hard thing about this is either way is tough. If they come in at different times, you don't have a single weekend free. Right. That's true. Um, If they come at the same time, you never get really good time with your own kids because there's always more kids. right? Right. And so the kids come in at the same time. And so... If they come in at the same time, you do get free time as a couple that next weekend. Mm-hmm. But you lose out on that time with your kids, mm-hmm. having a special, really individual. And so that's just the complexity of it. Then the other thing is if you have kids that are there full time, because one of the spouses is the primary, often you'll have the mom who has the primary custody. And the dad has the kids coming in and out, right. the stepdad or dad, um, husband has the kids coming to visit So there's always some kids there, and there's other kids coming in, and so they just often don't get treated the same. Mm -hmm. So it's just a very tough environment. And so when you understand that you have that household continual shift and getting the visitation and scheduling— that can be really tough. Yeah, really hard. And yeah, I just as I guess I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the energy it takes to keep up with all that. You yeah. know, all the shifting, and it's like the shifting never stops. It's just everything is change, everything is shift, and you may get a little bit more used to the uh, the schedule and doing that, but it takes an enormous amount of energy, especially when you're transporting kids back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, Anyway, it's it's a very it's a hard thing, hard transition to make sometimes. It is hard. And so that's why getting the skills is so important. And that's why the books that are out there, going for premarital counseling, listening to shows like this, anything you can get on how to do well. At Life Solutions, we have blended family counseling, premarital counseling and counseling. Um, and most places have that if they really know blended family as well. Often what we find is, and we hear it often, that people who are in blended families, they go to counselors who don't understand blended families, and they treat them like nuclear families. So what you'll get is, you know, a dad who will say to his kids who are visiting, my marriage is the most important thing. This is where my priority is with these kids that are in this house. Mm -hmm. Well, his kids are visiting. So basically what he just told them is they're not a priority. Mm -hmm. And so their counselor doesn't specialize in blended families and doesn't understand that those kids that are coming in and out are just as important as the rest of the family. 
And so the minute I hear that from people who come and said that they're, you know, they're getting divorced or they're about to get the divorce and they're talking about their previous counseling, I'll know that that person didn't understand that what they did instead was lead, help lead to the breakdown of the family. Mm. Because in a blended family, you have to understand those kids were with that man before he got married to this woman. It wasn't him alone before he got married. And so that woman married that man and those kids. Right. Um, And not just that man. The kids come as a package with that. And so premarital counseling will help her and him see that there's a priority there. Now, if she had kids, he married her with her kids. So therefore, this family priority is all six of them. Right, right. And so that's very important that they have that. And so um, these are just some of the things that people go into very naively into the blended families. Uh, there's the different values between the two families. And I'll see this. I'll have because we live in the D- Dallas Fort Worth area, but we live more out in the country. Um, and you'll have people that move in and they're from way into Dallas in the very much city area. They've never lived in the country. This other family has a slower pace. You know, they work the farm or, or whatever, or they have a ranch or they have their vineyard or orchard like we did. And, and th- these two families come together and it's a very different pace and it's a very different lifestyle and very different values. And so when you bring these two together, you just don't have this between two parents. You have this between two families and also two sets of grandparents. Yeah, this value thing is, uh, in my estimation, it it may be the the, the most critical thing. It may be the sort of the... Uh, in some ways, the crux of the issue. I mean, I, I see it so often. I guess is why I'm feeling that way because uh, so often we see two people come together and their families, their kids have been uh, taught kind of the way they've been brought up with them. Uh, sometimes it has to do with finances and the way we spend money and what we can have and what we can't have and and uh, forms of discipline, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, is it strict? Is it relaxed? Is it a combination? What is it? And so there's so many things like that that, um, you know, church attendance, all kinds of things. And so often the values that we see that people have are are very, very different. And um, trying to work that out, it's a tough thing for people to do sometimes. And uh, right now we're working with folks who are struggling with differences of opinion about how to use their money and what to do with their money and uh, what to do with their kids and uh, all kinds of things like that. Well, and you find often if you have people that live... Where we live, it's a much slower pace. Mm-hmm. They, the kids have chores because they help help work the ranch or the farm, or, or um, I mean, they definitely have chores and they have a structure and they have, you know, they get up early and they do all these things. Well, the kids from the city often they don't often have chores as much. I mean, they definitely don't have to gather eggs and go feed the horses and you know pick the fruit, all that kind of stuff. And so um, they don't have as many chores. They may only have to make up their bed. And so you get these. Families where, you know, some one set of kids can just be on the computer or play video games and have iPad, have a lot of downtime. And the other family, they just never stop. They have so much going on. Mm-hmm. And so when you bring these two families together, and definitely finances. We know that finances cause more stress in families than almost anything. But in this case, with blended families, it's the situation with the kids and the parenting mm-hmm. that are caused the most stress. Mm-hmm. The parenting 
with the other kids. And so we're going to get into that more right now. Um, we're just telling you what can cause it. So these are important for these for clarifying roles and relationships. So if you clarify roles, you've got to, number one, clarify your visitation and scheduling. How do you schedule that? What is it? And often it's not even up to you. It might be up to court orders. Um, the continual shift in your household composition, realizing that, making aware of that, and that helps you know what to do next. Realizing different values, lifestyles, and systems of discipline between parents. I mean, you know, um, it is a big deal if a dad and his son have this very close relationship and they do they parent differently because they're so close. And a mom and her daughter, two kids, is very lax and laid back. And um, when you start from the outside judging the other parent and how they parent, Nobody likes that, whether you're a part of a family or not, you know, whether you're outside the family or inside the family. Right. Nobody likes you to put down the way they parent. And so that can be one of the problems when you start making judges. But different parenting styles. Um, how about co-parenting with the ex-parent, ex-spouse, <laughs> not ex-parent, co-parenting? Well, and, and this can be a problem. I mean, some exes cooperate very well. And, and, you know, the um, divorce system now has the parents go to a class about the importance of co-parenting and being civil and getting along and working together, not crossing each other, not overstepping each other, not putting down the other spouse, um, you know, with the kids, right. not, you know, um, saying, well, I don't care, she's stupid, or she's, you know, your mom never this, or your mom never that, or your dad never this, or your dad never that. But working together and being civil. Yeah, we see, you know, we have seen this uh, almost have disastrous results where uh, parents, in a sense, work against each other because of their resentment or their anger or whatever's lingering in those dark emotion areas, you know, for them. And uh, what they don't understand is that they're destroying their kids when they do that. Yeah, they're not, I mean, yeah, they may be hurting the other parent, but, you know, that other parent can get over that. The long-term damage is on the children. Right, absolutely. Which is what they teach in that class. And it's a one-day class, and people go, and some people take it seriously. Some people take it seriously and do well until they end up with another person. And so this man may go to the class and, and really understand it, but then he starts dating, gets married to another woman, and she doesn't want him doing the things he should do to co-parent. Yeah, She's like, true. well, you don't even need to talk to that woman. That's your ex. You don't have to do anything to her. You don't even have to have anything to do with her. You know, those are your kids. You can communicate with your kids, but not your ex, mm-hmm. right? So what that does is immediately break down on the co-parenting. You can't co-parent if you don't communicate. Right. And you don't can't co-parent if you don't respect the other parent. Even if you don't respect the way that they parent, that is very different than respecting the per. you know, re- being respectful, Right, and civil right. to the kids. Exactly. And, um, you know, if you disagree, that's one thing, but you don't put them down. Right. Uh, to follow a course like that sabotages it does. The, the health of the family and the, the good uh, future of the family. I think it sabotages the health of the child. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this many times. These kids get so depressed and because it, it's confusing. And it's hard for them. We are supposed to be the adults as adults. And act as adults and be respectful and civil and all that. But we've seen these adults turn into little, spoiled little children. They can't. I mean, we've seen them. I'm not even going to talk to him. So when he's around, they totally ignore he even exists. And these kids are there trying to have a birthday party. 
And the other parent won't even talk to or acknowledge that other parent, right? right? And so it's like, really? You know, we were taught, we teach our children not to do that, right? But then as adults, we act like that. Like, I'm not even going to pretend they exist. I'm not even going to acknowledge they exist. And mm-hmm. so they will wreak havoc in that child because that child is so confused based on what you taught them. These are my parents and they're supposed to act respectful and civil. And this is my birthday and they're supposed to care about me and my birthday, not their old grudges that they've held against each other being lived out during a kid's birthday party or being lived out during Christmas or whatever. I mean, refusing to have anything to do with the parent can really sabotage a child. Yeah. Th- and this is, uh, you know, it's a good thing to to think about that, you know, people who uh, who are divorced uh, may have some some tough, hard feelings, you know, still lingering. But uh, n- the need to lay those aside, put them aside, you know, and you can deal with them in another way. Uh, you don't have to be so self-centered and selfish and self-focused that you uh, take away from a, a child's uh, the good life that a child can have by by focusing on yourself and that. Well, and really what um, co-parenting means is that you have to learn to do what you couldn't do in marriage after you divorce as co-parents. So you couldn't communicate, you couldn't resolve conflict, you couldn't that. You have to learn to do that in order to co-parent for your child's sake. And so part of that is what's important to do it well is working together for the child's success. And that's where you have to put aside your self-centered selfishness. You know, that, mm. that well, I'm mad at them, so I'm not going to do that. That's or very selfish. Or look what selfish. they did to me. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to get back at them or something, you know. Yeah. Um, but I also, so that that's one of the things is that co-parenting is so important. So if you are in a blended family and you or your spouse doesn't want one of you to communicate with your ex-spouse, that's not healthy. Now, I'm not saying go talk to them all the time about private stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But when it comes to issues with the children, you've got to talk to the ex-spouse. You've got to t- talk to the other parent because they may not have been married to coordinate visitation, also to coordinate events with the kids, you know, all those kinds of things and scheduling. So that mm-hmm. visitation and scheduling requires communication. Mm-hmm. And sure if you does. don't have the skills to do that well, then you need to get them to learn. Absolutely. So um, the visitation and scheduling, all of that can be tough when you can't co-parent. And and honestly, if you couldn't communicate well with your ex, you're not going to be able to communicate well with your new spouse as far as conflict issues, issues that cause conflict. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Uh, You know, there are so many new issues when a blended family forms, but each person, even kids, bring their own stuff, baggage, whatever you want to call that, into that new relationship. Yeah, they do. And we just add to, you know, the uh, change that's already taken place. Well, and part of that is if I'm on the outside as the ex-spouse, sabotaging and saying, oh, your dad this, your dad's wife this, this is blah, blah, blah. It makes the kids angry towards the other parent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is called manipulating your children to get what you want instead of caring about your kids for their success. I mean, instead, you're trying to punish your ex through your children. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a blended family and every time your children come back from visitation and they have all these 
behavior problems, it could be that the other parent's doing that. And so that's not something that you normally have in a nuclear family. You don't have them going in and out. Right. I mean, one of the things that you can't do in a nuclear family as kids, because I grew up in a blended family with nine kids, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that um, I see kids do you know, is they'll get mad at their mom and not want to stay with their mom anymore and they wouldn't go stay with dad, right? Mm -hmm, right. And and I have other kids going, that's not fair, I can't do that. They don't have any other family to go to. I'm just stuck here, right? And so there's a lot of things that may seem attractive about these kids that have, you know, two different houses, you Mm -hmm, know, but mm -hmm. it can be very stressful on them. But the kids that don't have two different houses, they're, they're actually made to resolve conflict. They're actually you know, stuck with those parents in that house. And really, they are almost forced to learn resolution skills to resolve conflict. Whereas not necessarily, if you don't work with the other parent, you know, that if I have consequences for this child and I work with the other parent to help follow those up, you know, or whatever, working together, the kids have to learn. They can't just leave one parent and go to the other. Right, right. Yeah, and um, in, a, in a way, that's a huge strength. Of course, there are many strengths to a nuclear family, but that, that's one of the biggest ones that uh, if you're going to grow and if you're going to become you know, uh, uh, better as a person, it's going to happen within the context of that nuclear family, and you work things out. If you can't, then you get help to learn how to do that. Yes, getting help. <laughs> and so there's also custody changes that can happen that mm-hmm. don't happen in a nuclear family. Right. And that can be very stressful court battles. That can be extremely stressful. And, um, you know, my advice is don't do that unless you just really have to. And I, I always advise people don't go to court anytime, rather, no matter regular family, single or whatever, um, unless you really have to because of the physical, emotional, and financial drain. Mm-hmm. That it, I've seen people have heart attacks from being in court, yeah. going through all the legal stuff. It's very stressful on the family. Um, the, for, the shift in the children's birth orders can happen. You know, like uh, I was the youngest child in my family. And I, I was maybe spoiled from that. I mean, when you're the youngest, you get babied more. You get more attention, you know, because you're the youngest. And, oh, take Annie with you and this and, you know, whatever. And so I think my siblings would say I was more spoiled. Probably. Well, then when my mom got remarried, the my stepdad, his daughter was the same age as me. Now, tell me that did not wreak havoc with me. Okay. <laughs> and we, she yeah. did not like me. And I didn't particularly, I liked her at first until she, you know, she was mean that I didn't like her. And so, but it was all about trying to, you know, juxtapose. For position, mm-hmm. right? I'm the youngest. No, I'm the youngest. So I'm six months younger than you and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And so you don't even realize birth order importance until it gets shifted. You know, if you're the oldest, and there's something very important about being the oldest. It's very special, yeah. And so and then all of a sudden your, you know, parent gets married and the other, and so in the house is an older child than mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. That messes it up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you read the birth order book, by Kevin Lehman, L-E-H, is it L-E-M-A-N? Mm-hmm. Yeah, L-E-M-A-N. He talks all about birth order and the importance of birth order. And so when you go messing with that, he does have more books even on, you know, blending families. And so um, clarifying those kind of roles when you have to shift birth order, getting counseling before that so that you understand the dynamics of that. And communicating with the kids is so important. And so, you know, for me... It's kind of funny because my, my parents, when they got remarried, the, the wedding picture is 
pretty hilarious and I use it in a lot of my talks. It is funny until I started, you know, studying blended families to speak on from a child's perspective. I hadn't noticed the wedding picture being so funny because the wedding picture, my mom and my stepdad are smiling and all happy and the kids all have frowns on their faces. (laughs) (laughs) And me and my stepsister are dressed just alike. We're like seven. We're dressed just alike, and we both are like giving this glare to each other. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you know that we didn't go through any blended family premarital counseling. No. And so, you got to consider that with the kids. You have anything else you can think of? No, except that I think that uh, the birth order uh, significance is something that people might not even think about, you know, unless someone brought it up. Uh, what you've mentioned makes it seem kind of obvious that someone would come in and be the older all of a sudden and, and, or that someone would not be the older one all of a sudden. But uh, I, one of the things that I've been thinking about is that these are things that, that, that people, most of them, they might not think about these things until right. all of a sudden they get blindsided once they're married and everybody's living in the same house. And so just, again, the importance of thinking through the issues and that may take some help from a counselor or a guide, guide of some kind to do that ahead of time. And then you mentioned talking to the kids. That can be so crucial. You know, here's what's going to happen. We hadn't thought about this, but here's what you know, we, we can expect. You're not going to be the oldest now. You're, you're going to be second. Well, and I think communicating long before that, too. Um, now, let me just say, we've gone over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things that are tough. Yeah. You know, the visitation and scheduling, continual shift in household, different values, inconsistent boundaries in parenting, if you parent different, mm-hmm. right? I didn't mention right. that. Possible custody changes, co-parenting with the, the other non-custodial parent, the shift in birth orders, the relationship between the step-parent. And, okay, so all these things. I have, we have a handout if you would like it. You can go and email us at ablivingwell at gmail.com and we will send out this four-page handout. So it has everything we talk about today and you're welcome to it. So we just wanted to say that right now we have to take a break and when we come back, we are going to tell you how to avoid all these pitfalls. What are the most important things to do so that you can have a successful, successful blended family? So stay here. We're going to go to break and be right back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to LifeSolutionsCoachingAndCounseling.com or email them at LifeSolutions.com cc at yahoo.com are you ready for a health life and empowerment show in one then be sure to listen every week for living well with ann beal ann takes her long-running tv show to the internet talk radio airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life by hearing from the experts and those who have found success our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same 
Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Living Well. This is Ann Beal, and I have Dr. Jim Slaughter here. Thanks for always being here and helping us just have a great show, Jim. Uh, I love being here, Ann. Thanks for having me, and uh, it's always good to have a chat with you with the folks out there. I did say always. You're not always here. Well, not always. Not always, but you're a great help. And um, we wanted to tell you how to meet the needs of the blended family specifically so you know um, how to overcome the pitfalls that we talked about in the last segment. So it's very important um, that you know how to overcome, not just hear all the problems, because those things we mentioned in the last segment, all the subsystems, there are, instead of just four, which is the two parents and the kids, and the parents, the grandparents and the kids, right? You now have nine. Is it nine? Eight? Eight? <laughs> it could be, because you have the exes and their parents. Right. Yes, so that adds in another dynamic. Right. And then you add in the parent with the stepchilds on both sides if you have both. Mm-hmm. So that makes eight. I don't know where I got nine. I, do, I was a math major. I should have known better. So <laughs> anyway, with all those subsystems and then all the visitation and scheduling and the different values and lifestyles and um, different parenting patterns, you know, some are strict, some are lenient. There's always one more strict than the other one, one more lenient. So we have parents come in about that. Um, and of course, we can always give our opinions on parenting, right, to other people. So we're like, you are not parenting that child. And sure. You know what cracks me up more than anything is singles. I hear singles when I am counseling. I hear singles give, tell me, well, that parent, I'm always like, well, singles, they're just like really trained at knowing how to parent kids, right? <laughs> and they are some of the most judgmental. Of, usually they're siblings' kids, right? Like that, my sister's kids are such bad kids. She doesn't <laughs> parent them right. And so part of that is knowing how to parent. Right, right. And so it's kind of funny. It just had to throw that in. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it is interesting that that happens. Okay. So what do you do? The way to overcome, so you don't hit those trees in the jungle. Instead, you go around them because there are an awful lot of trees in the jungle, right? We don't want you to hit them. So number one, open communication. Oh, wait. More than that, the one before that. Okay, so we mentioned that premarital counseling for blended families. (laughs) We say that a lot, that if you can go to premarital counseling or even get in – Go to a class, go to a retreat, support group, anything. Get insight. Read books. There's so many books out there on blended families. Mm-hmm. Read, read, read. So you get a better idea of the struggles because, honestly, they're always the same. Yeah, there are many, many pitfalls there, and uh, just knowing w- what they are is a, is a step forward. It is it? because yeah. then if you know them, and there's about mainly six 
Six main ones, okay? Mm-hmm. And and if you know what they are, then you're like, oh, because you just don't think of them. Unless you've really known people who struggled in a blended family, mm-hmm. um, then you're much more aware. But it's still very, very different to have the knowledge without the experience. It's one thing to know it, but when you're in it, it's very different. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, but the knowledge helps. So aside from that, yes, number one, open communication. So how do you do that? We suggest a weekly family meeting as a good place to generate open communication within a family. Now, I do always suggest that as well for nuclear families. Sure. Okay, family meeting. Yeah, that's you know, a great idea. Family, yeah. uh, family meetings we've been doing for 20 years, okay. And um, together as a couple, express your desires for honesty and openness. And, and the great thing about doing this weekly, I suggest weekly, is that people can get it out Right yeah. there every week instead of letting it build up and build up and then one kid, kid like freak out and, you know, right. hit another kid or scream and yell and, you know, like, what happened? And then they, when they get it out, it's like this, 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 and this, and this. And parents can do that, too. You know, yeah. Yeah. they can finally blow up and punish the kids, take all their toys away, take all their technology away. Take their door off. Take all their friends away. Yeah. I mean, it's like take their bed out of the room. I had one kid had nothing in his room except a blanket, not even a pillow because they took that away because they were just so mad. And I'm like, okay, guys, we need to do this more often so that you don't blow and have that happen. So weekly family meetings. It's like a team meeting yeah. in a way, you know, where you're able to share what's on your mind and what's on your heart, what, what, what uh, your grievances are, if you want to call them grievances, and to work it out there. And if you do it regularly, uh, like you mentioned, once uh-huh. a week, then you're able to avoid a lot of this buildup of steam. Yes, and the family meeting is not just for the parents to gripe. That's not what right. I mean. Right. Okay. I mean, for everyone to come together and let the kids talk. Because right. the parents can talk among themselves some other time, and they tend to say what they want to say when they can say it, because they can. You know, kids can't. Um, so the family meeting, you want to be able to let them talk. And one of them might say, well, I don't like such and such coming in my room. Well, you know what? Yeah, that's important. You don't just say, well, they should be able to. You go in their room, because that's not really dealing with that kid's feelings. Right, right. You work it out. Um, and so having them all, especially like, I mean, you can assign chores at that meeting. If you have a list of all the chores in the house, and then you go, who wants to clean the bathroom here? Who wants to do the living room? Who wants to do the kitchen? And you divide them all up. Well, then when you come back for the next family meeting, you ask if anyone doesn't wants to switch chores, and they can switch. Okay, and, and maybe get to the point where they communicate about that. Or if the dogs aren't being fed, one of the kids isn't feeding the dogs or whatever. So you work all that out. Or if somebody's not, you know, treating another child very well or being respectful. Or if one of them's upset with the parent, to be able to say it safely. Yeah. That's the open open communication. So, well, And that's one of the, the things that a parent needs to be aware of when they have a meeting like this is creating a safe environment. And that it's not always easy, but it's uh, very, very crucial. If a kid's afraid he's going to get in trouble by something that he shares that's on his mind, then he's probably going to keep quiet. Right. You know, it's not going to help anybody. If a kid keeps quiet, that means he doesn't feel safe. Right. So right. there are families where kids aren't safe to talk. So I think that you want to early on create the dynamic that it is safe and build that. Um, And so with the chores, you can discuss them, assign them, negotiate them. Um, Also, whoever's not present at the family meeting, because you get these teenagers or even these adults that don't want to go to the family meeting. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we would say is the last one to the family meeting or the one that's not there, not the last one, the family meeting, but the one that's not there gets to clean the 
toilets. Yeah. <laughs> and so go. that would get everybody there. And so the kids would be work. like, hurry, 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 before dad gets here. Of course, you know that. Okay. Share, shared power between all parents. Now, that is very important. And, um, and believe it or not, that includes the non-custodial parents as well. Uh, this creates balance between the step-parent family and creates tolerance between individual step-parent family and extended family. What would be an example of that? I know you'd say Shared that. Shared power. Shared power. Yeah. So part of it is respecting that parent who doesn't live in that house. Okay. You know, respecting uh-huh. them. And if, you know, if one, if like if my child is disruptive over there, mm-hmm. caring, caring for what happened there. You know, and if, you know, and, and listening to what happened and handling it well as though that person is important, as though that parent is important because the child has two parents and they have step parents, right? right? And so the step parent, if that parent, if the child hurts them or, you know, that relationship's important too. Right. And so if the ex parent, ex spouse is, you know, respected like that, and the step parent is respected like that, then everything goes well. Yeah, I think that's a that's the main word. Uh, respect uh, is very closely linked to shared power. The only way we can share power is if there's mutual respect. Right. And kids see that, they understand that. If they go against that, then they're confronted about it and and helped to understand uh, about this um, shared. Power. Well, because kids, you know, kids, okay, you can't blame them. They want to get their way. Right. And so they know, like everyone does, if you divide, you conquer. Uh, and so sure yeah, if they can get mom mad at dad, then they don't have to listen to dad. If they can get dad mad at mom, they don't have to listen to dad. Right? Right. So if they can divide, if they can get mom mad at the step-parent, then they, you know, mom might have stepdad. They don't have to listen to stepdad and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so kids obey the state step parent based on their relationship with the biological parent. That's right. And so the biological parent will model what works and what doesn't work. If a child tries to divide and the mom doesn't, you know, the mom doesn't let them, the biological parent doesn't let them. Yeah. To say right. no. If he said no, you can't come to me. Right. And so if I, you know, I just didn't know you already asked him. He already said no. So therefore I will uphold that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, if they've asked the step, the, uh, the non-custodial parent, the parent that doesn't live in the house, something, and they said no. And then the mom realizes it. You handle that by talking to the other parent. Communication is very important. Right. What happens often is if there's ill will between the parents they will not respect the other parent very well, and instead it will be a divisive thing. Well, what happens is the kids don't do well with that. And so how do you do that? You work to share power. It doesn't mean it's all equal, okay, because that's not, I mean, how how is that realistic? I mean, you try, right? But based on the cooperation is how you share. Yeah, and I wanted to mention here, too, that there's there's such a difference between respecting someone and showing someone respect right. there's a big difference there you don't have to you don't have to respect someone to show them respect so you don't have to feel respect respectful of someone to act respectful yeah that's what i meant right, right. um and so what you show is very important because you do that i mean you teach your kids to be respectful outside of the home 
You don't say, well, if you don't like your teacher, you can be disrespectful. Right. You know, Um, you don't say that. And so you teach your kids respectfulness, and that's why kids can get very confused when you don't model that yourself. Sure. And so for the kids, basically kids can, kids need structure and they need a united front between parents so that the kids will have to do what they're supposed to do. Right. Okay. If you have one parent telling them to get a job and the other parent saying you don't have to get a job, guess what the kid's going to do? It's going to sit at home without a job. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Of course. Yeah. And so no matter what, if you don't work together and communicate, then it's not going to happen. The child will go is what's easiest, right? And so that's part of what I'm saying. It's not that I'm saying, oh, be fair to everyone. I'm saying, I'm telling you what works. Right. If you don't do that, the child doesn't end up being well. And, and won't turn out the way you want them. And so, you know, that's, that's why I say that, shared power. That's an interesting thing you said. That, you know, they won't turn out the way you want them to. And sometimes we forget that the, the home environment is a training ground. I mean, our, our primary responsibility as parents is to train our children to become responsible adults. That's what we're here for as a parent. And so uh, I think it's very important to remember that. Our home is a training ground to help our children become responsible adults. Yes, and so which parent is right about the job? Or if one says, you have to make all A's, and the other one says, oh, don't worry about it, you can make even C's. Mm-hmm. Well, the kids are going to say, I can make C's. Right. So you're not going to affect change in that child. You are going to have to communicate with that other parent and not just tell them you're wrong, da, 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 but instead work to reach an agreement between the two of you by resolving conflict, sharing opinions, and working through that to come together to be able to parent and co-parent in a healthy way to come up with a compromise that yeah, you both can live with. Really. Right, right. And compromise is, is a good word. Some people take it as a bad word, but we're talking about choosing an alternative mm-hmm option that we both agree to and that you both can live with yeah you know can you both live with bees great you can both live with bees or both live with a part-time job you know I you know I I know when my kids are in college if that child didn't do well I mean they struggled okay and I didn't do well but they struggled with their grades last thing I wanted to do was get a job okay but another parent might think, well, I always had to have a job. So, therefore, they need yeah. to have a job, too, because I don't want to be given to spend the money and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, we need to work from there to come up to a compromise because we're still not resolving the emotional issues between each of us. Mine is I don't want her to fail, and his is I want her to make money. So, you've got to come to a compromise with that with each parent. Okay. Just gripe into the child. About the other parent, you're not going to do anything. Right. Except, you know, you're putting down the other parent, right? right. And that's that child's biological, genetic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So you might not be, you know, you're not married. You're, you're not blood related to that spouse, but those kids are. So putting them down just harms the child. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't do any good to call somebody names or put them down. And so sharing between all parents requires communication and conflict resolution. And that's why I say what you couldn't do in marriage, you got to learn to do to co-parent the rest of these kids' life. To do well. That's really true. That's true. Now, some people choose not to do that, hold grudges, and just never talk to you again as their kids wilt and deteriorate. I mean, there are some prideful people out there that, you know, they can, and some of them can be, you know, the most godly-minded people, right? But if they're mad, they're not going to follow that. They're not going to be, they're not going to act godly. They're just going to hold a grudge for the rest of their life, even though God says, don't go to, don't don't go to bed with your, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) And so, they can say, well, they... 
you know, they divorced me and they broke a vow to God and they can throw out God all they want, but their behavior is very ungodly right there. So they're, they're, they're not doing what God asked them to do either. They're holding a grudge to be angry, which is going to make them sick. It's also going to make their kids sick. Right, it is. And so, um, you know, you can't be civil if someone's not talking. All right, flexibility. Flexibility is very important. Remember that um, two families come together with different backgrounds, habits, and cultures. So be patient with these differences. And remember that the differences can actually strengthen you, which is something I talk about a lot. Flexibility is needed when children are temporary residents who come and go between households. These children are having themselves to be flexible, to readjust to every move. And um, and it wasn't their choice to do that. You're putting them in that. So be flexible with them. They need your patience. They need your love. And they need your support. But it's important that the rules stay consistent with or without these children in the home, which is hard. And I admit that's hard. hard you know, it's just hard. Special treatment weakens the family if everyone's not treated the same. Mm-hmm. If the kids are not all treated the same, you know, as best as you can, mm-hmm. um, it'll weaken the family, cause anger and resentment. And we don't want that. These children coming in and out are not visitors. They're family. That's true. And, That's right. and, they're, and you know, I see it all the time. Kids get treated that come in and out as visitors. Oh, they yeah. don't even necessarily have their own room necessarily. Or um, the other kids will have their own rooms. And these other kids, their rooms are, all their closets are filled with the parents' stuff. Right. So they don't even have a place to put their stuff. You know, they get to unpack their suitcase. Um, they don't get to pick the colors of their room or whatever. You know, um, they don't have a key to the house. They're treated as though they can only come if they call, you know, and that's not being a family member. That's being treated like a visitor. And if that's your dad who lives over there, that house should also be yours. And when they do that, when that happens to them and those things are happening, at, you know, in the family that way, it, a, a child cannot help but feel like an imposition. Right. Well, they do feel like that. Yeah. Yes. And um, and they, they, it harms them because they feel like the child who lives there is the dad's new child. That oh. child is more important. That oh. child gets to actually experience the wealth or the experience with dad gets to, you know, and all that. Whereas this kid comes in and out and you can't help but harm that child. That child will be harmed. Those children will be harmed. And so it's very important to not do that. Um, they're not visitors, they're family. Yes. And they'll learn to re- love and respect you for being a good parent. Structure is important. Keeping the rules of the game, keeping structure the same as best as you can when the children come in and out. Now, this is the thing. Realistically, you can't give core, the kids who just come on the weekend, can't give them all these chores, right? Well, everybody has five, so you have five. Because then they'll spend their whole weekend doing chores and you really want them to come back and they might not. You want them to have a good time. You want them to like you. So how do you do that? Well, you do it with all the kids. All the kids have a good time. You know, all the kids get to enjoy it. They'll look forward to the kids coming. Yay, movie time. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, they'll enjoy that, you know. And so that's part of it. Um, Coping with past stress. The pain from the previous breakup or loss still looms inside each member of the new family. Yeah, that doesn't go away right away. I mean, oh, my fact, gosh. Uh, it, it lingers for a long time and has, uh, has a huge impact. Yes. And, and that, that pain, that baggage, if you haven't had um, grief recovery, divorce recovery from the losses, um, even the kids, they have kid care, divorce care, for the kids to go through it, too, and the kids to be able to um, 
res, you know, re- grieve the pain, recover from the pain. Yeah. I mean, really, honestly, it would be the best case scenario for that to happen with all family members before they ever end up in another family again. Um, because there's trust issues that happen. I mean, the kids have been in a lot of ways abandoned or betrayed. I mean, they haven't resolved from that. Or in some, you know, I've had, I've had girls who tell me they never will trust another man. Right. So yeah. then their mom marries a man. So do you think they're going to trust that man? Well, they could have worked through those issues in time, you know. And so those past, you know, the pain. And sometimes you think you've worked through stuff and you've done well, but then these other things come up. Well, openness and honesty among family members is so crucial when it comes to coping with the past stress. And that's one of the things that happens uh, if a if a family goes to family counseling. You actually practice openness and honesty in the context of the of the counseling meeting. Meetings, the uh, the sessions that you have, and so you get used to doing that and opening up and sharing mm-hmm. what's on your heart, feeling things, and uh, and being able to trust and talk and that kind of thing. Well, and there are things that are just expected that happen with everyone. You know, a, sp- a spouse will hide their feelings out of fear of hurting the new spouse, right? Or a fear of another divorce. I mean, that's the last thing they want. Um, and a child will hide their feelings out of a sense of being disloyal mm-hmm. or a fear of hurting their parent or step-parent. Right. Um, often a parent hides their children's misbehaviors. I've seen that happen, yeah. <laughs> out of a desire to present a perfect child to the new spouse or yeah, children yeah. Uh, or out of fear of divorce. So a lot of hiding goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, a spouse will hide his or her desire for or their longing for the past relationship not because they necessarily miss the spouse, but, you know, maybe some of the, you know, you how we, when we're gone, you remember the good things, right? But usually it's the simplicity of the right. nuclear family. You miss how simple it was. And man, it's so complicated now. You never, ever realize. You kind of, and you get these words like out of nowhere. Uh, I feel like the carpet was pulled out from under me. I feel like yeah. I was knocked out by surprise. I mean, right, right. if they'd gone through premarital counseling, they could have prepared, but most people don't. So they're really kind of, hit out of nowhere with some of these things, and they hide. Well, this was something I hadn't thought about until you and I talked about it earlier, and that is that there, it, it's not wrong, it's not a, a bad thing to miss the simplicity of what I had before in a yeah. nuclear family. It's not yeah. wrong to miss that simplicity, but you, you know, realizing that what I have now is a much more complex system, and that's where I am now. And so yeah. I can miss it. But I, you know, keeping my eyes in the right, focus in the right direction, I'm heading uh, to to solve the complex problems. Right. And so all those things are normal. You find that they hide. And so that's why you want to have a counseling, counseling or life coaching to deal with those issues that will happen in blended families. I mean, honestly, blended families, they need counseling more than any others. Yeah. Um, Because of all those kind of issues that are expected. They're not bad. They're truly expected, but not realizing you need to talk about them. So open communication to talk about them to be able to do that because those heavy loads are there with the whole family and totally expected. Um, So realistic expectations, correct knowledge about the uniqueness and complexities of the blended family is crucial, which Mm -hmm. is what we were wanting to say today. Um, To expect the blended family to work and function like a nuclear family is going to set yourself up for disappointment. Right. Um, And frustration, lots of frustration. It's very unique. It's not, it's not a failure. It's just unique. Okay. And understanding how to blend family works prepares you to walk the road in the light of knowing the danger zones, enabling and empowering you to have an enriching experience. 
Okay, and that is what we wanted for you today, to have a wonderful, enriching experience. And if you would like to know more about this, we would like to send you this handout. So again, just email us, ablivingwell at gmail.com, or you can call Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling, and we'll send you a handout right out, 817-232-1363. And Dr. Slaughter, thank you so much for your insight today and your help. My pleasure. It's always good to be here, and thank you for having me. And again, if you have any, any other questions for us, you can contact us through that email or contacting Life Solutions at that phone number. Again, 817-232-1363. We just really encourage you in this new year to look at your family, rather nuclear or blended, if any of these pitfalls you found yourself in because a lot of families can run into these just communication bitterness resentment fears hiding you know Mm. um even if you're not in a blended family but definitely if you are we want you to look through it and just um start trying these new things and if you need help reach out reach out to community even right absolutely and and don't be afraid of the blended family just know try to know ahead of time what you're getting into that's what you're getting into and 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 make the right steps to 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 make it work yes and they do have organizations out there and they do have support groups for parents Uh, so we just ask you to reach out to your community to your family to your friends for help and if that's not enough reach out for counseling or life coaching or a community group so you guys take care and we love having you on living well and next week we have uh, Michael that's his name he's going to be a little more anonymous Michael a meth addict that has had 11 years successful sober yeah uh, clean and sober Um, and so that'll be next week and he's going to be on with us talking about his success that'll be a powerful very powerful so join us next week on living well take Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. 